today, I think the leadership takes a much more mindful approach. You have leaders that understand what the different teammates need in terms of how does it work around purpose. I know I'm very careful about this in terms of what are the roles and responsibilities of my entire staff on my org chart. People say, okay, chief financial officer. I mean, yeah, the purpose is around making sure that our financials are in order, but there's also a human underneath that. It's not just like, you know, this definition of a role. I think that that connection of purpose and roles and responsibilities and that being mindful around that, and then appreciating how are you going to elevate people's emotional IQ to make sure that they're thinking, you know, beyond themselves. Like, you know, that's the, that's the biggest evolution for me is that, hey, today when I come into the office, it's never about me. It's always about how am I serving the person next to me, my, my teammates or and, and everything. And if you're doing that collectively as an entire team, think about the positive repercussions of the reverberations that happen. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cardavera the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today, we're with Puneet Dillon. The title is Catapulting Your Leadership Through Resilience and Personal Drive. Puneet is an ultra-athlete, an Ironman. He's a person who survived a near-drowning experience when he was nine years old, and he is now the chair and CEO of a public pharmaceutical company. And he's here today to talk about resilience, to help us not only learn about it, but better understand it what it is, what it isn't. We're going to talk about ways to build that resilience, how that resilience can feed your leadership, your life, your experiences. Very critically, he's going to talk about how vital it is to be intentional about learning from your experiences in order to build that resilience. We're also going to have an interesting conversation about what does it really mean to be a high performer? And he's going to talk about something we don't discuss much, which is the role of visualization in achievement and resilience. Puneet has been there, done it. He's doing it today in leadership and achievement, and he is here to drop some wisdom bombs with us. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We're excited to be back here. And today we're going to talk about catapulting. No, not the practice of it or the sport of it. Is there If there is such a thing, we have a guest today. Puneet Dillon is with us today, and he has such a fascinating story, journey, what he's living today in terms of resilience, personal drive. We're going to hear about his near-drowning experience when he was nine years old that later led in some strange way to him becoming an Iron Man. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> his book is called Catapult. As I said, he's been in leadership for many years, and currently he is the chairman and CEO of Sky Bioscience, a public pharmaceutical company. He's a former president and co-founder of a company called Oncosec. So he has been in leadership. He's been creating that personal drive and creating that in the culture of the organization. It's going to be wide ranging. It's going to be fun. And I know we're going to have a lot of wisdom bombs today. So welcome, <laughs> Panit. Hey, thank you so much uh, for having me on your show, uh, Jeff. 
and Craig, uh, really looking forward to speaking with you both. So this is great. Yeah, glad to so, have you. So give us a little bit of the background story, Pranit. Oh, uh, where to start? You know, you, you, the, your little intro remark had me uh, reminiscing about uh, going back to these leadership seminars that we were uh, got an opportunity to take in high school. I, I had a yeah. fantastic principal, um, Tom Grant. Um, sadly, he, 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 he just passed away uh, with a, his battle of cancer. Incidentally, on the same day I launched Catapult, uh, he's mentioned in the book, um, but he's been a very important inspiration to me. And uh, I remember him, you know, giving us opportunities to, to take leadership seminars. We, they would they would kind of truck us out to the university and and um, and give us the, you know this exposure. But the book Catapult, it's it's just this culmination of of all of these learnings and and strategic thinking and and experience and insight. You only get those experiences by taking advantage of these different people that you come across entire your, your entire life. Even, you know, meeting with you guys today, I, we've already in the, in the pre-call had an opportunity to talk about vacations. And, <laughs> and I think we're going to, you know, that's the beauty of, um, of, of just um, life. So I had an opportunity to work in the life science industry for the last 20 years. Uh, been um, blessed with some um, real amazing team members working on some uh, very interesting technologies. Those technologies are being developed uh, on Oncosec. Uh, that, that program is a, is a, is a program that's partnered with Merck and uh, it's, it's moving forward um, uh, through the last stage of the clinical trials. Uh, wow. the, the program that we're working at, uh, work, the, the technology that we're working on at Sky. Uh, we're advancing it uh, initially in, in inocular indication, but we have a wide uh, range of different applicability. But all of this, for me, it's been a, a very unique life journey, and it's a it's a it's an opportunity uh, for me to take stock. Was an opportunity for me to take stock of my experiences and and put down in writing for myself what those principles that I believe in. So uh, I've been inspired by being an athlete. I've been inspired by getting. Uh, a unique opportunity to do a lot of entrepreneurial things at this frenetic type of pace. Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, you know, I think uh, been blessed with having a family, uh, a wife, kids that uh, believe in uh, and allow me to, you know, remain very kind of high level, uh, uh, high performing. I mean, and, and catapult was an opportunity to capture all of that in, in, in a, in a, in some context, uh, and a framework, um, and it was actually an inspiration for myself. I mean, if if I was given some advice as a twenty year old going into the biotech career, it was like that was the lens I I approached the book. It's like what would I what would I have told myself? So let me let me just clarify: the name of your book is Catapult, right? The name of the book is Catapult. That's right. Gotcha. But, but it's a, yeah, it's just, it was an opportunity to really um, hone in on the mental focus and the strategy required to really, for people to make some kind of um, rippling impact in their lives um, right. and do it with purpose. And, um, you know, if they're striving in the business world, here's, here's a framework to work around. So let's get right into that context you referenced. So the subtitle of the book is how to think like a corporate athlete to strengthen your resilience. And you are an ultra athlete. I mean, that's what I would call it. You're an Ironman 
And we were talking offline about that. You know, I call you one of the crazy people. And, you know, it's a compliment. You know, Apple said, who are the crazy ones? You're one of the crazy ones athletically. So talk a little bit about that just journey to get into becoming an Ironman. And then we'll talk about how that's translated into your leadership. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate, uh, you know, denoting the, the craziness. I think I, I feel the same <laughs> way. Uh, we, um, so the, I used to be a competitive swimmer uh, and did, did competitive swimming through high school and uh, into um, post-secondary. And then I went into uh, rowing. So I had this uh, discipline around um, kind of individual sports. Uh, and then I, I enjoyed running as well. So as an adult, when I moved to the U.S. Um, working for Novio, I had a colleague that was really into running. Um, and uh, Maggie would do these three-mile loops. And then we started running these three-mile loops around the office. And then slowly it kind of moved into an opportunity to do a half marathon and enjoyed that whole feeling that comes with <laughs> with long distance running and that euphoria so that uh, uh i got the bug and um then my brother uh, incidentally uh he was also a competitive swimmer much much better swimmer than i was but uh he he's like oh i'm signing up for the ironman i'm like well if you're signing up for the ironman i'm gonna sign up for the ironman. <laughs> he's the, he's the young he's the younger brother so back, back then we had to you know you didn't have online uh, registration so we had to drive over to um, Penticton sign up in person and it was quite the ordeal but yeah once you're in like once you're once you once you sign that piece of paper like you know there's a commitment uh, and <laughs> you're it, like what did I just do yeah there's a, there a one year out type of thing uh and oh, wow. and then um I, I had you know planned the the half iron or the smaller race the half iron and then 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 the actual full iron and then once I finished that, Ironman, I was like, I remember I talk about it in the book. It was like just a, a completely out of this world experience training for it and the actual race. And I remember immediately when I was like, what? This is stupid. We're never going to do this ever again. And then like the next day, you're like, oh, my God, like I want to do this again. <laughs> so, yeah, then it then you just have the bug. So I think now what did your wife had to say about it? It's a family. Point. It's definitely a family commitment. I'll tell you. So, <laughs> yeah. so the, everybody has to be um, aligned uh, with, right. with the goals, and uh, the you know the family has their own kind of goals in that. Uh, so, but yeah, it's a it's an incredible feeling. Uh, the biggest lesson I learned out of doing Ironmans um, and and distance events um, is uh, anything's possible. I used to come back, <laughs> I used to come back from you know to the office and. This is during the beginning of Ankasek. And I was like, what do you, when people used to say, no, we can't do that. I was like, what do you mean? No, no is not in my vocabulary anymore, anymore. Cause we just, you know, we just did, did the impossible. So it was, wow. uh, I think there's a great amount of resilience uh, and that, that whole mindset being able to tackle anything that comes out of uh, endurance events. So let's give us a timeline here. You, you started, uh, or you became the CEO of, Ankosak, you're 30 years old, right? Yes. Had yeah. you already done the Ironmans? Were you already in that mode or did that come later? I had been into marathoning by then. Uh, so I, I got into uh, marathoning late 20s uh, uh, at, at that time period. I'd done a couple marathons at that point. Then, then I, I signed up for the Ironman uh, right 
before Onkasek had started. So actually, uh, the commitment was made before I'd incorporated Onkasek. <laughs> well, I know a lot. You, you know, a lot of what you talk about is adversity. You know, and how much we learn from it, how much we grow from it. And I referenced it in the introduction. You had a significant event in your life. You're nine years old, um, nearly drowned. Yeah. How did that play out in the rest of the journey so far? I think, I mean, that's a great example of just one, you know, particular kind of traumatic event. Thankfully, um, you know, uh, that situation turned out to be a very positive one. Um, I still don't know who helped me out of that pool that day, but thank you. And then there's the other side of it where my um, my father just uh, kind of kicked it into high gear in terms of, hey, you got to take uh, swimming lessons and, and this is what yeah. you're doing. And uh, my dad used to be a, a swimmer as well, um, mm. but I'm in college and he was like the captain of the swim team. But I mean, his level of swimming versus what what we did as <laughs> swimmers was completely a different era and um but I'm, I'm just glad that he had that same discipline about him so he was very athletic and we do different things like swimming together and running together and hill repeats and it was that was a great discipline so it's awesome i think out of those those experiences and these different traumatic things there is this component of um resilience or knowing you can bounce back because you just don't have another choice right like i use this example of these these amazing swimmers that become like channel swimmers right they start at point a and they have to get to point b it's not like you're in the middle and they're like okay i'm going to stop you know you have to go yeah you have to either go back to the other way which is still like a yeah. lot you can get to the other side so I mean, you got your chase boat but <laughs> but but it doesn't it's you know it's it's just one of those look at diane and i had it took her until the 60s uh, until she turned 60 to finally finish the cuba to miami wasn't that the the channel you know that she swam but she'd had three attempts or something like i forget the exact details but she had multiple attempts and then it was just itching at her you know for for mm -hmm. so many years and she's like okay i'm gonna do this if i'm in my lifetime and she did it uh at, at the oldest point um you know in her careers so very, I think that's what this, these things teach us is like when we fall down, we, we know we pick ourselves back up again, but we bounce back faster. And it's also about this whole, um, gr uh, growth, uh, that's involved with it. Well, I think it's awesome that you took that thing that you could have, could have just petrified you, but instead your father encouraged and, and pushed you to double, like you said, double down on that and go, go in, get swimming lessons and so forth. And I'm going to give a little PSA here. Um, if you have kids and they're at least, you know, if they're about a year old, get them in the water, get them trained because kids can die if they don't do that. I, I also had a near death experience at the bottom of a sliding rock got in the undertow kind of stuff, but I knew how to swim fortunately. And, you know, that was not the same situation as what you had, I guess. I am really glad you've made that comment about our, about our kids. And that's the uh, water uh, inevitably teaches a lot about confidence. Yes. Because you don't have a choice. Uh, if you stop, you drown. Right. Um, so, you know, getting into a water body, a pool comfortably, and then ultimately, you know, in, in the open water is a huge confidence builder. Well, 
Before we go into the details of how this works, I want to talk about the concept of resilience and drive. I mean, I would say my experience is that right now, resilience is one of the top five buzzwords. And I don't mean to diminish it, but I say that because people throw it around without ever talking about what it really is. Hmm. And, and I hear you talking about resilience and drive. So talk about for you, what does resilience actually mean for you? And distinguish it, if it is different, from drive. Yeah, so let me be clear that it's different than mental toughness. Okay, uh, I think that mental toughness, uh, we we don't. That's a, it's a bit of a mindset. Um, for me, resilience, uh, you know, comes with experiences, and that is a, I think, is a is a key key differentiator. Um, so, uh, and and there's a lot of different experiences that shape that. It doesn't have to be all this, you know, uh, athletic stuff that. Uh, that I've talked about in the book, which is a very important component of recognizing, you know, where where um, uh, uh, that can be formed because naturally there's hard work associated with training for something, but uh, it could be also environmental circumstances, social circumstances, you know, other things. Like I I don't go enough into this, but there is a. a thread in the book that talks about, you know, other components of my life, uh, personal stories that I believe have really helped, um, you know, call it shape, shape resilience. Um, and that's being uh, a first generation born in, in Canada, you know, uh, coming from immigrant parents. Um, that's about uh, learning how to get, you know, hard work through blueberry picking as the first <laughs> first job you know and and those are those are very important things from a cultural perspective that that are uh you yeah, i guess you know somewhat unique to to south asians uh that that you know a lot of parents they that's that was their job you know over the summer they they blueberry pick i came i come from a multi-generation family uh, farming family so we that's all we that's that's what we knew over the summers I think those things are are important considerations. You know, not many people, you know, kind of appreciate, you know, parents live paycheck to paycheck. You know, my mom took out loans to make sure that we had a Christmas. You know, that that's um that those are unique situations that thankfully, you know, we're finally breaking out of that cycle. But a lot of people um don't have the same opportunities. Um I'm blessed with having that. I want to encourage others to uh, recognize that it's going to take a bit of hard work um but it's possible to break out of um you know uh, whatever uh situation that, that might be unique to anyone uh, so, that's part of it so Puneet, uh, i guess one of the things that i wonder about is you, you say you come from an immigrant family and what i've seen is that people who come from immigrant families tend to succeed at a higher level. And I think that they take advantage of opportunities that are there. Is it a difference in how you see opportunities? Is it creating the way? What, what is it that makes that difference? Because I have a lot of friends who've, who've been from that, you know, from an immigrant family, and they've done really well. And there's demand from the family, you know, from the, from the parents, for sure. Yeah, so that's a good, you know, comment. I think I I think there is a component of this hungriness mm -hmm. that that we that we come 
you know that that I guess you can you can um, you know say. But I don't I don't think it's unique. I think that it, that there's, there's a lot of different circumstances that are always unique to every individual. Um, certainly, uh, in I can speak for myself. I I was very lucky that I came from a generally a very hardworking family and a very entrepreneurial family. They, mm-hmm. they, they valued higher education, but at yeah. the same time, you know, you saw like, you know, parents working two different jobs, bouncing different things, you know, us being uh, kids, um, <laughs> you know, having to stay with our neighbors because our parents had to go, go to work and stuff like that. Like, you know, these unique situations, which, which, you know, today, I mean, I'm not, I don't think we're doing the same thing with our kids. Like, you know, there's just just a general, um, you know, we're trying to teach them the, the, the same type of values without having them experiencing all of those um, uh, different uh, balls in the air. So, yeah. so the, certainly, I got, you know, uh, that hard work attitude, that entrepreneurial spirit, the, uh, the the possibility that anything can be possible without actually hmm. kind of laying it out for you. That was an important lesson I think that that our families taught us is that. To my mom, she was very clear that hey, anything's possible, but you're gonna have to figure it out. Like, you know, she used to have two different kind of sayings. Like, she's like, "I'm open to a point," and she would bring her her fingers together at, at the top because anytime you know you wanted a little bit of slack, like I gotta hang out with my friends tonight. She's like, "No, you know." Just, there was just this discipline about, "Hey, you gotta go to bed because you got some practice in the morning. You're not going home." That kind of stuff, but at the other side of it, hey, oh, this is my idea. I'd like to do this. Well, fine, go for it. But this is, you know, you're going to have to define that in terms of how you're going <laughs> to you're going to uh, call that um, a, an achievement or whatever you're, however you're going to define success. And of course, we always, uh, thankfully, we've been able to surpass our parents' uh, uh, expectations and our own expectations in what we do. So, how much do you understand? the future of finance. I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. 
So Fadi, I want to go back to something you said about resilience. And this gets back to, I think there's some, I really believe there's a lot of confusion around it or just different definitions, perhaps. Um, I've had people say, well, look at that person. They, okay, they overcame a lot, therefore they must be resilient. I look at that and say, I don't know if they're resilient because I need to know more about what they learned because to me, pushing through everything is not resilience. That's an element of it. And so you said people learn from experiences. My question is, do you believe people always learn from the experiences? Because I think a lot of people have experience and didn't learn anything, but they had an experience. Yeah, so that, that's a key point. I think that um, people have negative experiences and positive experiences. I don't think we, know, we have enough, we spend enough time um, uh, doing a postmortem. On, on these types of experiences. I think through entrepreneurial training, you, you're forced to do postmortem, right? You have a setback right. company. You, yep. you sit down with your executive team. And you're like, okay, what did we do right? And what did we do wrong? That type of leadership experience helps to translate into anything that you do. So if you use that kind of yeah. framework. I, uh, I, in 2005, uh, get married, got married, didn't have a chance to do a vacation or whatever, you know, your honeymoon. So scheduled it for the, the year later. Uh, so my wife and I did a cruise and I thought that that was the best idea because there's no cell phone reception, no, no email. <laughs> you know, um, uh, but, you know, and then, you know, time, it was time perfectly thinking that nothing's going to go wrong with the company, you know, all, everything's been fine. Come back to the biggest crisis. Like to, the, to this day, it's probably like in top three crises that I've ever experienced oh, in my wow. life, you know, but um, uh, I was 25 and, um, understood uh at, at that time I, I learned the importance of the post uh, doing this postmortem or this whole exercise of uh you know um what do you what do you call it um like an after action report kind of thing yeah that kind of the meet like that you know, the, those that that important step that i think we take for like take do any do automatically now but i'm i'm, I'm so glad i did I went through that experience at 25 because I think I've, I've utilized that mm -hmm. inherently in anything that I do now is like, okay, well, that didn't work out that well. How am I going to do differently? I, I was doing a workout yesterday uh, morning. Didn't actually go exactly how as I wanted to plan. But uh, and, and after I was done, I was like processing like, okay, I need to spend a little bit more time on recovery, probably expand on my legs a bit more. You know, these kind of things just you're, you're always computing now. So, so to your point, Jeff, um, I don't think enough people are spending enough time um, asking themselves, well, how can they do things better? How, if they fail, how can they fail forward? And, and those are the important parts of bouncing back. Resilience to me is the ability to bounce back efficiently. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it. Um, it, it's, it, it becomes almost inherent that, hey, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm not accepting this. I'm going to come back even stronger. And so resilience being a learning process then. Yes. I well, I like one of the things that you said, Panit, because you were talking about, you know, we do the, the postmortem when something's going wrong, but then you also mentioned we do something when it's going right. And I think so many of us miss that part because we always focus on, okay, something went wrong. Okay. Whose fault is it? What happened? How do we fix it next time? Rather than also going, Hey, you know what? That was a fantastic thing that we did. What were the components that made that work? Who, who was involved in that? What was it that, you know, does somebody need to be recognized for the awesomeness that they are, you know? 
Yeah, I think so. Like you, you guys mentioned that you know resilience being used as like a buzzword, and it is. Like we, I, I, at first I thought it was just because I was, I have it incorporated in my title that I'm hearing it more because you know that mm-hmm. happened. But it, it, it seems to be it's one of those key, key qualities that you expect uh, from leaders today, right? Um, but people often get it confused with toughness and. I think toughness is an aspect of resilience, right? And um, it 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 it's potentially what separates the emotion, um, you know, associated with things or or the negative consequences of difficult choices. But the the key thing uh, is that um, I think resilience is not about deflecting the challenges that you that you have. It's about taking them on and absorbing them and then rebounding as as fast as you could so it's not just from this okay i'm gonna go run a marathon and now that i've finished the marathon i have the resilience to be able to do another marathon or i mean that's a crude example but it's it's um and when you have a when you when you have a setback you you have the experience of being able to touch on this is exactly what i went through before and i know what i'm going to do in terms of a list or whatever that needs to accomplish to to do it better this time the good example of us in terms of a macro scale is look those of us that experienced the financial crisis in 2007 and then the pandemic in you know in 2020 you you know show me a show of hands like 90% 90% of people that experienced the 2007 financial crisis went back to their notes and their heads like, okay, this is what, it, what we went through in 2007. How am I going to do things differently in terms of, a, a ch- of the challenges in 2020? And of course, there was even like a whole range of unprecedented ones. But I certainly, uh, from a business standpoint, really looked at, at, you know, at that, at that experience uh, being um, an opportunity to, to, to take advantage of the experiences from that uh, prior crisis. So when we look at the the definition of resilience, it says so two different ones, which are interesting, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. And so to me, the resilience seems like in some ways the toughness can can cause problems because we have to flex a little bit. What are your thoughts, both of you? I mean, clearly, Jeff, you have some some thoughts on this as well. So I think the structure, you mentioned structure, right? Like the, yeah, the ability to have a substance or an object to spring back into shape. Yeah, so the, I believe that resilience is, 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 is fortified or becomes inherent through the structure, okay? Through that, that accountability to, mm-hmm. to, to yourself. And that's what I've spent the time to drill down in, into the book. Like the book has this, 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 um, call it the corporate athlete high performance trapezium. It starts with true accountability, true accountability because you're accountable to yourself in terms of everything values, um, you know, establishing a structure, establishing, um, you know, the, the work ethic, whatever you, in, however you infuse your life with, you know, different things that enable you to be accountable and then, and then, and then so on. So I think that that 
if you, you know, if we walk, if we want to spend the time on that, but we can walk, walk through that framework. But, but to your point, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a key part of it is that it's, it's only fortified by, by a person taking stock of being able to look at themselves and say, this is my experience that I had in this negative or positive, And I'm going to use that so I can rebound faster uh, next time if this happens, or I'm going to double down, you know, I'm good at this. I'm going to do this really well. That's, I believe that's part of resilience as well. Well, I have to tell you, because Craig knows this, I'm a movie guy and that, <laughs> that version of toughness and resilience, what flashed my mind was Rocky. Yes. <laughs> you know, Rocky had an element of resilience because he could stand there and just get beat on <laughs> and not go down. I don't look at that. I would not say that's a model for leadership or living <laughs> my life. And, but I think there are a lot of people who that's how they would label resilience. Yeah, you knock me down, I'm going to keep getting up. But that's why I think, I think there's this simplistic definition or mindset of resilience that limits it. And what you're talking about is a much richer and wider and more integrated idea of resilience. It's not just this, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, you're still here doing the same thing you did yesterday. That's right. not really a good strategy. Well, yeah. So I, I was told I can't make any more Rocky references on podcasts. <laughs> you brought it up, not me. So I'm going to dive into that one for a second because I believe that, yeah, Rocky's a great inspirational story. My like, all-time favorite. Um, and I love the character. I love the storyline. I love the David versus Goliath situation that he's always put in. But to your point that we're, yeah, we're talking about a richer meaning here of resilience because it's, you know, you notice that Rocky can have this sense of false confidence associated with how he approaches things. Like, yeah, we know that it's a fictitious story based on an actual boxer apparently, but, but the action, but the, this component of, of he just, you know, grits his way to, to winning because of his, rockiness right like whereas he's figuratively you know he's called in these movies a rock right uh in multiple times so but but in any one of those blows could have also knocked him out you know and you're also questioning as as a viewer like well, what, what, why didn't he get knocked out on that one but he somehow you know uh, is able to so there's a false sense of confidence versus the true confidence that's you know, based on this. So the good news, you know, good news about these Rocky movies is they always build that storyline. It's like he fails first, he fails because of the false confidence, but then he goes through Siberia and trains for like, you know, how many days and there's two training montages that are, that are in the Rocky four. I think that's, that's, I actually sent a message to Sylvester Stallone one day. I was like, Hey, you know what, why this is my all time favorite movie? Cause there's two training montages, not just one. <laughs> But but that just reinstills that true confidence. I think that's the deeper side of this 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 component. That, okay, uh, the resilience now is formed because he has taken out all the other distractions and he's figured out this is what it's going to be required to beat my opponent. That's a really good point. So when you're talking about that, it, it may, just brings up the whole concept of mindset and yeah. how much how important that is that even in the midst of difficult times, if I have the mindset that, okay, I can learn, I can, I can work through this, 
maybe I need a team, maybe I need something else. I can act, you know, access other resources as well. I think then you get kind of to the willow, the willow stands as a very big tree, but it flows with the wind and it doesn't break. Yeah. And, and if you have that false sense, or if you just feel like, you know, this whole concept of mental toughness and you're building also this false armor around you that you're relying yeah. on, but it can also cut, cut you off from the resources that you really need in order to bounce back. Yeah. So that's the challenge with mental toughness. Like, okay, yeah, I'm, I, I was having a chat with one of my colleagues. I, everyone knows that I don't do mean guy very well. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a generally a very nice guy. Good. So when I, when I try to be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be, you know, more harsh on this. It doesn't suit me very well. I can totally see through that. This guy's like just a ball of like a uh, fuzzy fuzziness underneath all of that, that, that brown or whatever. I, you know, I want to, I want to display. So that, that's the thing. So the mental toughness, yeah, it's not going to work for everyone. I've got, yeah. you know, certain people, obviously it, it, that's, they, they, they really utilize that. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's deeper than that. If you, you gotta be who you are, yeah. that starts with true accountability. You establish, um, uh, that confidence and the resilience with your own experiences and, and with that self accountability, with all of those different layers that are required for that, um, you're going to be able to really uh, uh, rebound stronger uh, than before in any situation. Well, let me try out another um, swimming piece here. And I'm not <laughs> a swimmer, I'm a sinker. <laughs> no, I've read over and over that the body naturally floats. Apparently, I'm not human then. With, with a lot of fat, it floats. It's because you're just very muscular. But, yeah. but here's, the th here's the thing hit me about that, that um, toughness take it on what flashed to me was riptides because hmm. i oh, what i know about riptides is the key is to not swim try and swim against the current and that tough version is going oh here's this current i'm going to swim against it hmm. and beat it but i understand the safest way to deal with a riptide is to sing to swim parallel because you're parallel essentially or, or perpendicular yeah perpen perpendicular that's perpendicular mm -hmm. You're not going against it. You're, you're basically swimming out of it. And to me, that's an element of, resi of resilience to yeah. see things differently and say, yeah. I don't have to bust through that's a great everything. Point. I can find a different way yeah. as part of resilience, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's a great analogy like for even entre entrepreneurs, right? You know, like you don't, you know, entrepreneurism, I think in order for us to come up with innovative ideas and everything, we just, we're not just following the crowd and saying, Hey, I'm going right. with another, another product that already exists. Like it's, it's a, you know, this whole concept of being disruptive and coming up with differentiated technologies is, is that is yeah. exactly that, you know, we're not Play a different game. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to kind of come out of that current a tiny bit in order to take advantage of it. At the same time, you know, um, you know, uh, do do what's necessary to to define uh, yourself. So, Puna, um, I want to go to some direct questions about leadership. You stepped into leadership at a very high level at a relatively young age. Uh, it's not about the age, but I want to look at the shift. If you've seen a shift in yourself and what the workforce needs as a leader. Hmm. Because how leadership was done, I think, 15 years ago, even, has shifted today in terms of what's needed. 
Have you seen that? And how have you shifted in leading differently over the last 15 years, say? 100% shifted. So I believe that it's, um, it's moving at a faster pace than ever. You have a lot of great currents, um, you know, to use your analogy, happening at the same time. Social change, um, uh, and, you know, a, a better, um, uh, or everyone uh, being way more mindful. Um, there's more connectedness to, I think, uh, this, uh, this idea of emotional intelligence. Hmm. But these things didn't exist when I entered into the workforce. I, at least, sorry, they existed, but I, I wasn't, right. I wasn't uh, yeah. you know, um, uh, introduced to them. I, I thankfully, you know, had had not just lucked out in terms of some great bosses uh, and great mentors that uh, practice these things just hmm. inherently because of the people and leaders that they were, and I gave a, a lot of opportunity. Um, to to do to do this uh, to make decisions. So I look at kind of leadership in two different buckets. If you were to use this example of what I, I feel like I grew up in this in this era where leadership was based on confidence around decision making. Okay, you 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 you're given a little bit of a, uh, rope, and and over time it's you know you get a longer so the, the whole uh, you're my my boss was more or less like, hey, you get to make this decision. And over time, you make more and more decisions. And ultimately, when the big decision counts, you have the confidence to make the right call. And if you screw up, you're going to be held accountable for that. But at the same time, they were very good about circling back, saying this is how this can be improved upon. It wasn't like, hey, it was, I've, I've only been in a situation two times in my life where it was like, hey, if you don't get this right, you're going to be fired. Uh, where I've actually had my boss tell me that. So that's an so, encourager. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that you know that wouldn't I would that wouldn't happen anymore, right? Probably, right? That's yeah. that's a change in thing. But at the same time, hey, lit a fire under my ass to make sure that was done right. Today, I think the leadership you know takes uh, a much more mindful approach. You have leaders that understand what the um, different teammates need. Uh, in terms of what are, what how does it work around purpose? I know I'm very careful about this in terms of what are the roles and responsibilities of my entire staff on my org chart. Uh, you know, people would say, okay, yeah, chief financial officer. I mean, yeah, the purpose is around making sure that our financials are in order, but there's also a human underneath that. It's not, <laughs> right. Not just like you know this de definition of. Oh, wait, you're you're talking about a finance person. Are you sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> so it's a, the thing is like I think that 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 connection of purpose and roles and responsibilities and that being mindful around that, and then appreciating how are you going to elevate people's em emotional IQ mm -hmm. um, to make sure that they're thinking you know beyond themselves. Like uh, that's the that's the biggest evolution for me is that hey, today when I come into the office, it's never about me it's always about how am i serving you know the person next to me my, my teammates or and, and everything and if you're doing that collectively as an entire team think about the you know the uh, the, the positive repercussions of the reverberations that happen that translates not only tenfold internally it translates you know hundredfold externally to your stakeholders in terms of that care um, that we have so um that's that's the, i think the biggest uh, changed. And of course, when I said in the beginning oh, that it's progressed 
I think that we're in an era where we appreciate the needs of coaching and mm. I, like, how do you, if somebody is becoming a high performer, well, you're going to enable that. How are you going to enable them to continue being a high performer, but at the same time, remind them to take a vacation and I'm not going to bug you for a week because you need to get off your phone and everything and just go disconnect. So those kind of things, you know, th- these are, these are the important things we, we got to, uh, help nurture our high performers, uh, and then help nurture other people that, you know, you know, need, need direction. That's, that's going to be a, a very important in terms of uh, communication and, and emotional uh, intelligence. So I'm curious, we've, we've had some other guests that have uh, alluded to aspects of where you put your time and do you put more or less time to the high performance, high performers versus low performers versus mid performers? So, so naturally, I think, you know, there, I still follow a structure in terms of, um, a, I call it chain of command, um, you know, in terms of our chart. So I expect my leaders that have direct reports that they're doing, they're, they're, they're doing everything with equality and, mm-hmm. and they're helping bring everybody up. So I, my direct reports, I'm giving them ample time, open door, telephone, text message, anything I you know, tried to define parameters around uh, my life so that people, you know, respect my wishes at the same time, I respect theirs. And at the same time, uh, want to make sure that we are continuing to elevate each other, but it's taking different shapes and forms. Like I go for a bike ride with my, um, you know, my right hand, um, uh, uh, you know, at least once a week, uh, mm-hmm. that those three hours that we're on the bike together, we tackle everything from personal to, Hey, this is what's going to be, go on with product development. This is what's going on with R and D. Like tackle all these topics. Um, it maybe it was a bit atypical, but we get a lot done in three hours. <laughs> and I would have, you know, probably taken days at the office. Interesting. So, Panit, let me ask you a question about that phrase, high performer. For me, that's another one of those. What does that really mean? And okay. have you defined what high performer is? And I've I'm reading a book right now that I'm, I really like. It's um, it's Simon Sinek's book, The Infinite Game. Yeah. And in there, he talks about the Navy SEALs and how they assess team members. And they, it's kind of like a covey, the quadrants. And mm-hmm. the, the, their, their intersections um, are, one is performance, which is skills. How do they do their job? And the other is trust. Hmm. And that they're not the same thing. And there are people that score very high in the skills and their ability to perform, but low in trust, they don't want them. They're, they focus more yep. on trust than performance. And that's one of those phrases again. Someone's a high performer. Well, you know, hey, that one's killing it in sales, but they're an asshole. Yeah. So are they a high performer? So can you talk more about how important it is to get clear on what that means to be a high performer? Yeah, I know I, I appreciate you. You calling that out? I think that's that's an important context, and and uh, I think we overgeneralize the, the term high performer. I think uh, when when I'm defining it, I'm I uh, not to plug my my book, uh, but I I am okay. visually I'm looking I'm visually thinking about that uh, that whole uh, corporate athlete high performance trapezium. That this is when I when I work with somebody. Uh, as a colleague, friend, or, you know, anyone, there, there is that visual that's in my head. It's like, what are we doing here in order to make sure that this is a holistic, um, high performance. My, 
a good friend and mentor, uh, Dr. Annalisa Jenkins, who wrote the foreword of the book. I was in a car ride with her um, uh, just like four or five years ago. We were going to go uh, and meet with the founder of the technology that we developed at Oncosec. Uh, uh, Dr. Dowd is a, is a, is a technology, he's the, he's the guy that's been behind the technology. And um, so he's like probably, you know, in, in the top five or 10 melanoma doctors in the world. Hmm. His wife, uh, Dr. Pam Munster, is, is in the top five breast cancer doctors in the world. Wow. Uh, kids are like, uh, you know, top track stars and gymnasts <laughs> and everything. So, 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 so I'm with Annalisa and she's like, uh, we're, we're in a, in an Uber together. And she's like, uh, we're five minutes away from the house. Um, and she's like, uh, give me the rundown. Uh, you have, you know, you have, and she's, she's very militaristic, but it's, it's kind of cool. She's like, you have two minutes, give me the rundown of, you know, who we're meeting. And, and, uh, and she's like, go. And so I'm like, you know, and I gave her the same spiel that I just told you guys. And she's like, oh, okay. So it's a high performing family. <laughs> so, so it, you know, it's, it's, a but you, you don't know that when, when you meet with uh, Dr. Dowd and, and Dr. Uh, Munster, they're the most down to earth uh, uh-huh. individuals. Uh, so coming back to, you know, yeah, they, they are at the top of their field, you know, in terms of medicine, medicine and oncology, uh, the kids are doing uh, tremendously well. Uh, they're being good parents. They have, you know, the, you know, whatever this, uh, this life, this, this life that comes along with all those different responsibilities. But I, I think that, um, it's there before they're achieving high performance, they're, they're achieving a high performance in living because mm-hmm. they're a really successful family unit and they care about their children and they care about their vacations and they care about everything else that in order to, to do all the other things. So the, if take all the other stuff away, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a high performing family because they do things really well, um, as, as uh, individuals and, and, and in order to support each other for that continued growth. Mm-hmm. So coming back to your comment, Jeff, I think it is a very holistic definition and, and the, the, the high performance trapezium is a good visual as a framework, you can, anybody can evolve that for themselves and, and look at how those layers fit well with each other. Love that. So, so Puneet, um, there's a question we typically ask at the end and it feels like it fits here is you've shared a lot about a lot of different topics. We've talked about resilience. We've talked about a little bit about drive. We've talked about overcoming obstacles, learning leadership at various levels. We could spend hours on this, obviously, and we don't have hours, but what's the one question that comes to mind that we didn't ask today? And what's that question? And more importantly, answer that question for us. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the question we need to probably ask is, is taking a moment to, do we take enough time um, to, to take a step back? Okay. And, and appreciate everything around us and appreciate um, how to maximize our own success with what is already in front of us hmm. versus thinking too much in the future or whatever, like, you're, you know, you're, you're, so I believe in visualization around objectives and, and here's, you know, I have a goal, a lofty goal and, and the steps to get there. 
But I also believe that there's an important component of taking a step back and appreciating what's in front of us in order to maximize that overall success that we're we're trying to achieve. And in the in the book, we refer to this this idea of vista and the vista, the concept around a vista that when we go on these bike rides and you're riding up that hill you get to the peak of a mountain or a peak of a big hill and you get that beautiful expansive view you know how many times have you ridden to the top of a mountain and said okay that's it i'm going to flip around and just come back down again no usually you you take a moment or two even if it's a few seconds to get off your bike and appreciate the view or take a photo and record for yourself that hey visually i i was there i was i, yeah. I so Did it's that last week <laughs> so you take a beat you take a breath and you, you get a better look i think that that vista component is almost important on a daily basis hmm. evolved into many different forms people call it meditation i think that uh, you know it's in order for us to strive for this perfection and other things that we're we're all aiming for you just have to pay attention to the little details and then you know you've done your best and you're continuing to elevate and and hit a, a bit higher peak the next day and so on and get a, a better vantage point. And, and that, that's a metaphor in terms of everything that we're doing on a daily basis. I guess I have one, one last question that kind of ties back to a couple of things you've said, which is, it sounds like you use visualization as a tool to help you perform better. Is that true? Hugely. Okay. And, and how does that work for you? In other words, what's, what's your practice of visualization? I picture myself doing it. Mm -hmm. I picture myself um, of what uh, XYZ is going to look like when we get there. So if it's a company, if it's a objective around, um, you know, our products or on the company, if it's a personal thing, if it's something to do uh, with, a, uh, with one of my daughter's goals or my wife's goals, I'm, and we're, I think we're all inherently doing it. So there's this inner voice of ours, right? That that's doing it. You put pictures around your inner voice. It's amazing. Welcome in. So I am a dreamer, uh, but at the same time, I I um, I think uh, the, the difference is that uh, if I am actively spending the time to visualize, and then I'm usually mapping out a plan in terms of getting there. And I've used that technique for racing. I've used that technique uh, for training, and and uh, it's it's served me very well. And and usually, uh, talking to a friend of mine that did a half Ironman for the first time, and he was he called me up because he was nervous about the race, but he'd done he'd done all his training and he, he was ready. But naturally, he had this little anxiety kind of forming around pre-race. Uh, I told him just spend the time to visualize what it's going to be like to enter the water because uh, it's going to be a bit of an anxiety rush doing an open water swim and and at the same time running out of the water transitioning to the bike just even if you don't visualize the entire five or six hour race, because that's a long time, just do it, do it in the key segments, which I think, are, which are, I think are very important around those transitions and you'll be ready. So that way, when you're mentally going through that feeling or your body and mind are maybe disconnected because of all of the stuff that's happening, you can call upon that. Hey, actually, I've actually been here in my head. <laughs> I just kind of go through the motion. Okay. Every time I hear about or think about, uh, visualization, I always think back, and it's probably decades old now, the research with the free throw shooters in basketball. Mm, yeah. 
where yeah. you had the three groups, you know, one group spent an hour practicing free throws. One group spent an hour doing visualization and one group did bet both. And by measurable numbers, the group that did both improved the most, of course. And the one that did visualization improved the second most. The group that improved the least was the one that actually did the physical practice only. <laughs> and, and it's just interesting. I think there's this, I think there's still a lot of resistance to this as still being some sort of woo-woo. <laughs> like, what do you mean I'm going to think about it? Yeah, I'm going to go yeah. do it. I don't think it has to be woo. I think we're just, we're, we're analyzing, I think, what's an inherent quality that everyone yeah. already does. It's just, you know, maybe some people spend a bit more time on it. Others are, are not really honing in on that, on that skill that they have. The key, yeah. the key thing here is that when you're visualizing yourself succeeding or achieving what, whatever the objective is, whether it's your own goal or someone else's, you are de being deliberate about a plan mm -hmm. to help you or your friend or your other, you know, other someone else get. And that's, that's the key thing is like, we're, we're doing it with intent and yeah. that that's the key difference. Otherwise we can visualize all, I can visualize I'm a millionaire, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> you, know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you, you need to uh, spend the time. So if I want to, you know, I'm training for a, an Ironman again right now, or half iron, but I haven't like, I haven't raced in two years uh, at, at, at that kind of event. Um, so I'm having to like, you know, at 40 plus years old now, it's like my body's a bit different, but at the same time, I'm, I'm enjoying it differently as well. Like I, I feel like I'm faster than ever at the same time. Uh, it's taking a little bit longer on recoveries. And then, mm. so I need to spend a bit more time is like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, take the moment to plan in order to do that. And sometimes that means sitting down and just um, recognizing that journey is long. So, so whatever is going to help you, these tools are there in order to help you with that, that journey. Great, great stuff, Pretty. Uh, time to wrap up. And as we always do, we always want our guests to have an opportunity to promote something that's going on for you. So what is that? Well, I'm, I'm really excited about what we're achieving at the company uh, and the progress that we've made. I've, I've been at the helm of this company for uh, now 11 months. It'll, sorry, it'll be 12 months at the end of this month. I started, I think, on August 10th of 2020. So right in the peak of the whole pandemic, um, but really uh, proud of what we've achieved. We've, we've uh, not only met, uh, but exceeded every single objective that we laid out. Um, back back in August, so a brand new management team and an entirely new management team of the company, clear development plan, uh, capital uh, raised, all of these important kind of uh, things to uh, to align this company for for success. So I'm really excited about what we've achieved there, and I'm also um, you know uh, happy about um, that. I, I I believe that with certain things that we've done, uh, like the the book and the, the framework that we've laid out, I, I have a little bit more personal accountability as well in terms of really um, practicing what I preach in terms of the, um, the that mindset. So uh, it's certainly, it's, it's helped me. That was, that was the intent when I wrote the, the, the original process of starting a writing process was for me at this point in my life to look back, what did I learn for the last 20 years so I can apply it for the next part of my career? And uh, I'm glad that it's allowed me to, to 
do that, to have that personal accountability. Can you ref- uh, remind us what the name of your book is in the subtitle? The book is called Catapult, How to Think Like a Corporate Athlete to Strengthen Your Resilience. Okay. Awesome. So what is the best way for people to connect with you, Panit? So you can connect with uh, me uh, directly by email. Uh, it's hello at Um There's also a website, panitdillon.com, and there's the tab uh, where you can schedule um, time uh, on anything uh, that if you want to connect uh, with me in different, in different ways. Uh, and um, I encourage you to kind of reach out um, about anything that we talked about, uh, whether it's Sky, Bioscience, the book, or or any other help that anyone uh, is looking for. We're always uh, here. I'm always uh, available. And at the same time, um, I would love to connect you with uh, if I'm, it's not in my skill set, then I'm uh, definitely going to expand um, into broader network. Uh, maybe we'll, uh, you know, uh, um, through that way, uh, maybe we'll be inspired by someone else that wants to share their story with Jeff and Craig as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. We always wrap up with a signature question and, uh, in the interest of time, we'll just do one today. And then the question when I ask you, Puneet, is tell us about the movie. What's the movie <laughs> or scene from a movie that speaks to you about leadership? So we already said that we can use Rocky, right? So that <laughs> no, we already did Rocky. <laughs> so I, I chose uh, Spy Game. So Spy Game is my all-time wow. favorite movie. I don't know if you guys remember. It's yeah. Robert Redford and Brad Pitt. Um, so the premise... recently. He did, yeah. So the premise is Robert Redford plays uh, this the CIA uh, um, character uh, Nathan Muir, and he's at the brink of retirement. And then he helps his protege, who's Brad Pitt's character Bishop, uh, find a way to free him. But the, the the reason I like this is because he demonstrated leadership in a unique way. He gave up his entire retirement um, to save him. He, so he, and he, and at the same time, the movie kind of walks through this whole, all of his craft, you know, his, his, yeah. his, um, his training, his CIA training and all his skills and resources that he uses in this clever way to basically pay it forward, you know, that, Hey, I'm going to make sure that Bishop has his life. Uh, and so it, it, I think it's, it teaches this unique, uh, leadership lesson. Yeah. And I, it's probably the one movie I've watched more than any other movie. Interesting. It's a, it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, thanks for sharing, Kuni. Thanks for being with us and all the wisdom you shared. And thanks for the continued work you're doing in the world to spread the message and uh, have more impact. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Inspire others. I think there's a lot, a lot of work to be done. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. 
please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.